Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you, big book study. My name is Larry Kay, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, October 16th, 2018, and today we are, what do you know, we're back in the big book, and we're, at, we're um, on page 139, starting with the second paragraph, it starts, if you desire to help, and Nessa's going to read through five paragraphs ending with the aberrations of the alcoholic. And then we're going to comment on all paragraphs. So today's readers, we have Karen K on the 12 steps, Dana M on the 12 traditions, and the readers of the text, Nessa R, Carmela G. And as far as I know, Lisa H is still running wind sprints, but she, she's ready to jump in here. The uh, reference number for Monday, October 15th for the 7 a.m., uh, Eastern Standard Time meeting, that would be 12,042, 12042. And for the 10 a.m. meeting, 12,044. Okay, the OA preamble, the OA pre-ramble. I'm going to ramble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states that each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. And at a vision for you, big book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating, well, I know this, it happened to me, they can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So now I'm going to ask uh, Karen Kay to be kind enough to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Karen. Hi, this is Karen Kay, compulsive overeater in New York. The 12 steps. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over compulsive eating, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and for the power to carry that out. 12. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters 
and to practice these principles in all of our affairs. Pass. Thanks, Karen. Appreciate that. Traditions, tradition. Hey, Dana M., we have 12 traditions. That was my dad's favorite song. Um, would you be kind enough to read the 12 traditions, Dana? Yes, I will. Thank you. Thanks. This is Dana M., Recovered Compulsive Eater in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Thus, problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public, public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks so much for allowing me to serve. Thanks, Dana M. I appreciate that. Okay, here's how this thing is supposed to go here. Uh, this is how this meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature then stop and share on what was read. Anyone except for Harlan can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic in literature, just kidding, Harlan, um, that we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. Uh, We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. So if you'd like to share, press star one to unmute your phone. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying, hey, I'm done sharing. Um, Then press uh, star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we're going to resume our study of the big book, and we are currently on page 139, starting with the second paragraph. It starts, if you desire to help, and Ness is going to read through five paragraphs ending the aberrations of the alcoholic, and we're going to comment on all of those. So Nessa R., would you get us started, please? 
Absolutely. Good morning, Vishen, for you. Um, my name is Nessa R., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. If you desire to help, it might be well to disregard your own drinking or lack of it. Whether you are a hard drinker, a moderate drinker, or a teetotaler, you may have some pretty strong opinions, perhaps prejudices. Those who drink moderately may be more annoyed with an alcoholic than a total abstainer would be. Drinking occasionally and understanding your own reactions, it is possible for you to become quite sure of many things which, so far as the alcoholic is concerned, are not always so. As a moderate drinker, you can take your liquor or leave it alone. Whether you want to, uh, whenever you want to, you control your drinking. An evening, you can go on a mild bender, get up in the morning, shake your head and go to business. To you, liquor is no real problem. You cannot see why it should be to anyone else, save the spineless and stupid. When dealing with an alcoholic, there may be a natural annoyance in a man who be so weak, stupid, and irresponsible. Even when you understand the malady better, you may feel this feeling rising. A look at the alcoholic in your organization is many times illuminating. Is it not usually brilliant, thinking, imaginative, and likable? When sober, does he not work hard and have a knack of getting things done? If he had these qualities and did not drink, would he be worth retaining? Should he have the same consideration as other ailing employees? Is he worth salvaging? If your decision is yes, whether the reason be humanitarian or business or both, then the following suggestions may be helpful. Can you discard the feeling that you are dealing only with habit, with stubbornness or weak will? If this presents difficulty, rereading chapters two and three, there, the, where the alcoholic sickness is discussed at length might be worthwhile. You as a businessman want to know the, necess- the necessities before considering the result. If you concede that your employee is ill, can he be, for- be forgiven for what he has done in the past? Can his past absurdities be forgotten? Can it be appreciated that he has been a victim of crooked thinking directly caused by the action of alcohol in his brain? I well remember the shock I received when a prominent doctor in Chicago told me of cases where pressure of the spinal fluid actually ruptured the brain. No wonder an alcoholic is strangely irrational. Who wouldn't be with such a fevered brain? Normal drinkers are not so affected, nor can they understand the aberrations of the alcoholic. So um, these paragraphs are um, expanding on the idea that we read yesterday, just above, um, you know, what we just read today, but says lack of understanding is what really ails the alcoholic, um, where one may be quick to attribute this to, you know, weak will or lack of knowledge. I mean, there's a few uh, passages like that here. It says, how can anyone, how should you, so why should it be anyone else say the spineless and stupid? Annoyance that I'm not to be so weak, stupid, and irresponsible. Um, habit, stubbornness, or weak will. And, you know, in the doctor's opinion, um, it says here, um, it did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full flight from reality over outright mental defectives. These things were true to some extent, in fact, a considerable extent with some of us, but we are sure that our bodies were sickened as well. So, you know, I know as a as a compulsive overeater, um, you know that now yeah, I recover compulsive overeater. That there's nothing really wrong with my knowledge, 
with my morals, with my character, um, with my uh, attitude, um, myself. You know, if I have an analogy of the body and an obsession of mind that when I'm in food, lead me to do um, really stupid things. So this child, this, this, this uh, uh, paragraph are telling me, don't judge. And, you know, I find myself, you know, sometimes, you know, I'm not proud of it. Sometimes when I see uh, people in the rooms who have not availed themselves of the program of recovery, uh, that it's easy to judge. Uh, and it's like you're just, the solution is under your nose, right? Don't you pick it up? But these paragraphs are telling me, you know what, don't. You know, don't even go there because you don't know what the other person is struggling with. I mean, I, I was fortunate enough, you know, to have, to have recovered, to not have gone, gone down to the depths that others have done. You know, I, I was only, um, only um, 70 pounds overweight, um, and I, I was lucky to have found somebody who the problem had been solved, who showed me the real solution and who took me by the hand and showed me um, the way, how, how, to, how to become entirely abstinent and, and how, how to recover so that I could address both the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And other people may not have uh, found that, that, that person yet, that they're Abby yet. And so um, I am supposed to show, you know, people the same tolerance, being and patience that I would cheerfully grant as a uh, friend, even more so in the rooms um, now that I, that I am recovered. Um, you know, and the only reason, or not the reason, the main reason why that is the case is because otherwise I cannot be helpful. You know, when I'm judging other people, I cannot be helpful. And this is what the advice to employers is, you know, uh, put away your own um, prejudices, put aside your uh, previous uh, conceptions of, of how things should be or how people should behave. Uh, because this is how you can you can help all alcoholics recover. And this has certainly been my, my experience, not only my own personal experience in my recovery, but my experience in, in working with others. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nessa. Um, okay, we're going to just, if you're just joining us, we're on page 139. And Nessa read the second paragraph through five paragraphs on 139. And so who would like to share on what was read? Harlan G. Harlan? Kathy G. And Kathy G. Barbara B. Katie G. Katie. Anybody else? Don't Melissa. be shy, Melissa. Okay. Melinda. Oh, there's a. There's a uh, was it was it Melissa and Melinda or did I? Melinda uh, with a B. Melinda and Melissa. Did I? Am I hearing things as I often do? In my crazy world, no Melissa. I I did not speak up. Yeah, thanks. Larry. Okay, I just wanted to hear your voice, Melissa. Okay. All right, so here's what we have, what we have uh, for the first round. We've got Harlan G., Kathy G., Barbara B., Katie G., and Belinda. I didn't catch the last um, initial, but we can get that on the, uh, uh, on the sorry, terminal. I was Leah S. And Leah S. Okay, we can Thank stop you. there. 
All right. So let's start. So now um, we'll start off first baseman, Joe Pepitone, followed mm. by Kathy G. Hey, Harlan. Good morning. Hey, Larry, good morning. I'd rather have Anthony Rizzo out there. Um, <laughs> I'm Harlan G. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Scottsdale, Arizona. And thank you for your service, Larry, and Team Tuesday. This chapter on first perusal, and especially the paragraphs that we read today, might fool me into thinking that it's vital for me to make someone else understand what it's like to be a compulsive overeater. And there's something that I learned from a guy that his name was Bill Wilson. And Bill Wilson said toward the end of his life, he said, to those who understand, no explanation is necessary. To those who do not, none is plausible. And if I look at this chapter, there's one person in this whole world that has to understand that I have an illness. This is not a matter of common sense. I have friends both here and back home in Chicago, who still think to this day that somehow I just got smart instead of stupid. I have friends who to this day, who are college graduates, some with advanced degrees, who think that one day I just quote unquote got it. No, no. I have an illness of the mind and an illness of the body. And to be perfectly honest with you, I don't care who else knows it because it is of no material fact to me who gets it. Harlan G. has to get it. And if I get it, then it doesn't matter who else gets it or doesn't get it. If I know that I have an illness of the mind and an illness of the body, and many times I have said, that the information in the doctor's opinion is so vital that the depth at which I will accept it will mark the urgency that I will carry forth with the rest of the steps. That will make me or break me. Many, many times I have to refer back to the information that came from the common sense of drinking by Richard Peabody. Once a compulsive overeater, always a compulsive overeater. There is no cure. The last paragraph we read is about Dr. Dan Kraske of Chicago. I remember well the shock I received when a prominent doctor in Chicago told me of cases where pressure of the spinal fluid actually ruptured the brain. No wonder an alcoholic is strangely irrational. I don't know about spinal fluid, but what I can say is the action of sugar on my brain is not apparent to me until I give it up, put it down, and start working the steps, and I smack my head and go, wow, no wonder I was half nuts. I had a brain that was full of sugar. Now I don't. And now it says normal drinkers are not so affected, nor can they understand the aberrations of the alcoholic. I don't care who gets it. I get it. And that's why I'm here. And that's why I must work the steps. I have a condition that only a spiritual awakening will relieve. And with that, I will pass. Thanks. 
Thanks, Harlan. Okay, we have Kathy G. Hey, neighbor. What's up, Kathy? Oh, good morning, Larry. Well, what, what, morning. thanks for uh, calling me to come to this party. I'm glad to be here today. And, and I had to jump in this morning because there is just so much good food for us in here. And as I was reading, I, I realized, even though this is to the employer, it's really giving us insight to the illness that I love. And in the line, as a moderate drinker, you know, you can take liquor or leave it alone. It clearly shows me that I am not a moderate drinker or eater. Because if you give me a bowl of M&Ms, you know, you put it before me. Well, now I don't really care. It's because it's become neutral. Thanks. Thank God because of these steps. But in the past, if you were going to put some M&Ms in front of me, I could definitely not take one. I could not take one handful. Now, I might even be able to do it for a few minutes, but it was eventually going to lead to bags. It was going to lead to eating M&Ms in the car. It might lead to a car full of M&Ms, you know, because there's not enough on the planet for me. There's just not. So I definitely related into that. And then uh, down a little lower, it says that the alcoholic um, is usually brilliant, fast-thinking, imaginative, and likable. Well, I was happy to hear that in the midst of all of these other things that can get you almost a little upset about having this illness. Uh, but telling the employer that he's not dealing with habit, stubbornness, or weak will only, that this really is an illness. And a little lower, that I have been the victim of crooked thinking directly caused by the action of alcohol on my brain. It's really helped me to know that I do not have a normal brain in regard to alcohol. Um, and my alcohol really is sugar. Sugar makes me a totally different person. So um, it says, no wonder the alcoholic is strangely irrational. Who wouldn't be with such a fevered brain? Normal drinkers are not so affected, nor can they even understand the aberrations of the alcoholic. It's like, we're not normal. And it's okay because there is a solution today. We have a solution here. It's so exciting, really, that we can go from a fevered brain to a calm brain to a clear brain. And I just wanted to jump in because I'm just so darn happy to have a clear brain today and uh, grateful to be with all of you. So, Larry, hey, I'm done sharing. <laughs> Thanks, Kathy. Okay, we have we have Barbara B. followed by Katie, Katie G. Hey, Barbara, good morning. Good morning. Thank you. This is Barbara B. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. And through this whole chapter, one of the things that I do with it, as it says, to employers is I put myself very much in the place of the employer and the employee. And as I look at the reading this morning, these paragraphs, the last paragraph on page 139, a look at the alcoholic in your organization is many times illuminating. Well, I find this so illuminating and reaffirming for me to look at the sickness, to look at the illness, to look at the disease, because as it mentions the qualities that the alcoholic employee has, you know, <clears throat> is he not usually brilliant, fast-thinking, imaginative, and likable when he's sober? Well, 
I have to, for me, reaffirm the fact that I can't wipe out all of these qualities that God has given me and that have been developed over the years and just negate them because with entire abstinence and the 12-step way of life, these qualities are able to show up and function and serve my family, my community. But they would be gone if I were to return to the activity of the sickness and the addiction and addictive eating, compulsive eating. They would be gone. But the reason they can stay alive is because the base, the foundation, is entire abstinence. Just as the base for that employee is sobriety. And when not sober, all of that good stuff goes away. So I find that a great message to look at again this morning. Thank you, and I pass. Thanks so much, Barbara. Okay, uh, table for two. Uh, Katie G. <laughs> Good morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Vision for you. This is Katie G, a recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic and bulimic in Boston. A couple of things I've been thinking about. Um, so I first come into the rooms, right, and you all are like, yeah, you have a disease. And I'm like, stop the craziness. I don't have a disease. Like, it's just another excuse you're using. And, um, and, I, in my thinking, could talk to myself in ways that I would not speak with my worst enemy. Like, weak-willed is something nice that I would say to myself. And over the years, I've gotten very comfortable with this disease concept. Someone said to me, are you at dis-ease with food? Yeah. Are you at dis-ease with your body? Yeah. Are you at dis-ease in the world? Yeah. Where am I not at dis-ease? Right? Absolutely. 100%. Allergy of the body, obsession of the mind, and this program will treat my spiritual malady. But here's what having a disease does not mean. Or let me put it to you this way. So like if your father comes to you and says, I have diabetes. And for me, if my father came to me and said, I have diabetes, um, I would say, okay, so who's your doctor? You know, like, tell me what your plan of action is, right? Like, I would hope that my father would take responsibility for his disease and, and be, get as informed as possible about what the disease means, what the parameters are, who the best doctors are. I mean, I, I'm going through medical treatment. I want to know who the best doctor is. I, 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 I might rally or rage a little bit around having the problem, but then at some point, it's like, KDG, you have the problem, go to the best doctors, get the best medications. So for me, as a previous speaker said, the only person that needs to understand my dis-ease is me. I have a dis-ease, but I can't use that as an excuse to say, oh, I have a disease. I'm going to go eat. Oh, I have a disease. I'm kind of sort of maybe abstinent. Abstinence is black and white. It's like pregnant. I'm either pregnant or I'm not. I'm either abstinent or I'm not. But because of that diet methodology that's ingrained in my head, I can use it as an excuse to rationalize, justify, and defend. You know, people call me and they're on step 10 and they're like, oh, I had a little bit of food. And I'm thinking, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. And they're saying to me, Katie, do I go back to step one? 
And I'm thinking, well, you're already at step one. Are you going to go back to step one and accept that you've decided to say you have power, choice, or control again around the food? That's what works for me. That's what works for me. That's my truth. And so acceptance of this dis-ease means I just learn how to walk in this world with this disease. And because as the result, I'll close with this, Larry, as the result of these steps, I have this disease and I'm moving along and I'm moving forward. Why? Because of God and my crooked thinking and my warped thinking abstinent without the steps gets healed and changed and grows into miraculous thinking when I'm connected and tethered to God in entire abstinence working these steps. I'm going to do it another day, 24 hours, shoulder to shoulder, God willing. Thanks. Thanks, Katie. Okay, we have Belinda followed by Leah S. Hey, Belinda, good morning. Hi, good morning. I'm Belinda D. from Ohio. Uh, I'm reading about the um, when dealing with an alcoholic, there may be a natural annoyance that a man could be so weak, stupid, and irresponsible. Even when you understand the malady better, you may feel this feeling rising. And as far as the the workplace and um, um, and being abstinent. Uh, the workplace is my challenge. The uh, workplace is where I um, experience being scatterbrained um, when I am uh, when I was not abstinent, and um, the workplace has been my challenge to, at all costs, make sure to. Um, maintain absence. And uh, I thought that it was uh, a weak state to have to take all of my um, OA tools with me to work so that when I would um, get into a spot that would tempt me to be um, scatterbrained and um, choking down sugar, um, I I didn't want to have to to save myself because I didn't want to have to look like I couldn't handle this afternoon, this hour. And uh, this, uh, within the past few weeks, I I do not care. What I care about is being abstinent. So I make sure to take all of my tools with me to work. And when I am having a moment where I am tempted to um, stay cloudy and scatterbrained, I make sure to um, get my tools. Um, I will uh, write in my journal about what I'm not um, able to deal with. I will. Um, get um, my lifeline and I'll um, read an article and quite often I'll read an article about someone who's having a difficulty in their work day and um, making sure to take all of my tools with me to work um, makes it so that I'm able to deal with my work day, get my um, chores done and it also helps me to not um, be tempted to stay in that scatterbrained mode. Uh, I pass. Thanks so much, Belinda D. Appreciate that. Okay, before we open it up to more sharing, we're going to get some wisdom from Leah S. Good morning, Leah. Goodness, thank you so much, Larry. Thank you, <laughs> How's that? everyone. Okay, so I'm Leah, um, recovered in Brooklyn. Um, they are talking about um, my workplace, but. Um, I also take it to other people that I get into contact with, um, perhaps family at at holidays, perhaps um, uh, acquaintances. 
But going back to my workplace, I had a, a, a supervisor who was extremely obese and was always snappy and bossy. And, and, and guess what? Who was always in the tea room and the coffee room? Always. And, 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 and there were no snacks left. And you know what? Um, empathy and um, understanding is what is being discussed over here. Um, th- this person himself has to understand whether or not they are an alcoholic. But me, in un- in trying to 12-step this person, um, it-, it requires... Uh, it requires my own behavior. It requires my own um, abstinence and then with intuition to know when and how to approach this person. And and that's all that I can do, really, um, because uh, as was mentioned in these powerful shares before, this is a slow... Slow work uh, of, of 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 death and progress. Uh, literally, um, this disease doesn't lead me to any um, uh, super super what's it called um, uh, shape or form of health in any which way. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lance. Appreciate that. Okay, just uh, real quickly, we're. We read from page 139, starting with the second paragraph through five paragraphs. And who has the courage this morning to share? Barbara E. Barbara. Penny. Reva P. Yeah, I got you, Penny. And Reva P. Julie E. B. Julie E. B. Was that Teresa? Yes, Therese P. Therese P. Okay. Ida A. Maybe. Ida, I knew you were going to jump in there. Ida A, let's go with that for now. So we've got Barbara E, Penny C, Reva P, Julie B, Therese P, and Ida A. Let's start with Barbara. Good morning, Barbara. Uh, I love that dulcet tone. Good morning, everyone. This is Barbara E in New Jersey. Um, I have to drill down on something I talked about yesterday. Uh, that's not me, by the way. A moderate drinker may be more annoyed with an alcoholic than a total abstainer. Someone who can eat moderately, who can eat a generous cup of ice cream or two, and then immediately go back to it, may not be able to understand that once I start, I can't stop. I'm that person that was referenced who would eat the entire bag of M&Ms and then go on and ravage the refrigerator. A moderate uh, eater might not be able to understand why I can't take it or leave it alone. And those pejorative words, um, stupid, irresponsible, sloppy, lazy, glutton, all those words I threw out to myself but suggesting that the employer go back, if I understand it correctly, and reread chapters two and three, they may never have read these before. But if I'm doing a worthwhile job at my work, then my compulsive reading won't interfere. If it interferes, 
if I'm going out early for lunch, coming in late, uh, stealing food from the other teachers who have food in their classroom, and I get caught doing it. That, that's something that needs to be addressed. But I have to concede to myself, as was said so eloquently before, there's only one person who needs to know they're a compulsive overeater and needs to believe it in the depth of my heart. And that's me. I can't stop from starting. And once I start, I can't stop. I tricked myself into saying, I'll stop at midnight. I'll stop on National Diet Day on Monday. I'll start at the beginning of the month. Well, maybe January 1st is a good idea. And I've gained and lost so much. I strongly suggest, and this is just for me, that you find a sponsor who is right for you, who understands the depth of your disease. And yes, I had to admit my life was unmanageable and will be continue to be unmanageable. But my food does not have to be. My abstinence in one hand, my life in the other, and I cannot clap. Now, this is the textbook that keeps me from clapping. And there's my timer. Thank you. I passed. Thanks. Thanks, Barbara. Okay, now we go to a card-carrying member of Red Sox Nation, Penny C. Good morning, Penny. You got it, Larry. <laughs> Larry, for all you Yankee and Cubs fans, um, this is Penny C., recovered compulsive overeater from from the Boston area, and uh, thank you. Um, this this really speaks to me. It may, it it's got me back to my own. Um, childhood even I grew up as a fat kid and when I was 17 and went to apply to nursing school and was told on the way out the door that I had all the requirements and I was all set to come into the nursing school um, just as I was to leave on my feet opening the door the director said and Miss Whalen when you arrive here in September, you will, you will not dock at the door of this institution until you've lost 50 pounds. And that just confirmed what I had already thought about myself from all the remarks that people had made to me and about me, that I was, just what these words say, weak, stupid, irresponsible, um, and add to that, lazy, gluttonous, Whatever, whatever negative, negative adjectives they could think of. Um, my name was Waylon, and drop the N, and it turns to Whale, and the kids would call me Whale. And uh, so, so, you know, I just, uh, nobody had any way to tell me how to lose the weight, though. They just simply said, lose it. And so out I went and decided the only way I knew then was I had to stop eating, which I did. And I'm sure that in some ways I injured my body because I lost the 50 pounds in about three, three and a half months from simply not eating. And so um, the discrimination law, anti-discrimination laws now won't allow that. So as a nursing instructor, we had nurses come into the, uh, student nurses come into the program one, I, I would guess, was at least 400, 450 pounds. 
and there was no way that she could be turned away, even though she had a hard, really hard time, you know, performing the duties on the taking care of patients at that weight. But at least now with with Ovaries Anonymous, thank God, I had the ability to to take her aside and just say to her, you know, I used to weigh about 200 pounds and I understand, I understand. And I would tell her that she had an illness and I brought her all the, the literature and I don't know if she ever took me up on it and, and sought some help from Overeaters Anonymous or, or, you know, started to try to work the steps anyway at all, but at least we have that now. So thank God, thank God for Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, and for one, for me in particular, it makes me um, realize that I'm not bad. I'm not, you know, today I'm recovered, but even when I was eating compulsively and couldn't stop, I at least now understand that at that time I was into a disease that nobody, nobody could tell me how to help myself. So thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Penny C. Appreciate that. Okay, we have Reva P. followed by Julie B. Good morning, Reva. Good morning, Larry. Hi, it's uh, Reva P., Grateful, Recovered, Compulsive Overeater in Toronto. So this chapter, just like the two before, um, consistently reminds me that my disease does not just affect me. It affects my husband, my kids, and the people I work with. Um, and it affects my work performance, in case I didn't know that before. Um, but the thing that strikes me the most is all these things that they're saying the um, employer might be thinking, those are things I thought about myself, that I'm spineless and stupid. You know, how could I be doing this? Because this disease is not logical, and I couldn't figure out why I would keep doing things and self-destructing when I knew better. Um, so yes, I'm the one who needs to understand um, what this disease is and how it plays tricks on my mind. Um, and what also struck me was, you know, even in abstinence and recovery, I have to be careful for crooked thinking. Um, and there's all this potential being brilliant, fast thinking, imaginative, um, and likable. I can't will myself to do good work in my job. Um, it's, it all comes down to the same thing. And I don't know if I can explain it properly, but you know, there's a difference for me between efforting to do a good job or even taking a training course and trying really hard to improve my performance. For me, it always comes down to working the steps, being recovered, continuing, continuing, continuing. And when my channel is clear, my brain is also clear. And I can not only absorb information, but there's a certain flow and ideas come to me. And just like um, I'm in a position of neutrality with the food, I'm in this position of neutrality and I'm able to um, implement things that wouldn't necessarily come to me otherwise. And it's just, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's about getting 
rid of the stuff that blocks me and then I get inspiration, I get ideas, and my work just flows. And that is such a miracle. So just like the disease can destroy myself and everybody around me and certainly my work, recovery can help me do things that I couldn't never, I could never believe that I could do, that I could think of, um, because the channel, the brain is open. And uh, with that, I pass. Thanks so much, Julie. Okay, we have Teresa, uh, Therese P, rather, followed by Ida A. Therese, good morning. This is Julie E.B. Oh, Julie, did I... Julie, did I, I? My apologies if I uh, if I missed you there. You're up. That's okay. You want me to go ahead? Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Hi, this is Julie E.B. Gracefully recovered uh, by the grace of God in Colorado. Um, I am uh, unbelievably uh, touched by these chapters. What would it What would it take? Um, for me to be able to explain to an employer um, what this disease is like. Uh, For me, I could not take a course in school to understand what this disease is like. In fact, left to my own devices, uh, I would have explained it the way they understood it. Stupid, weak-willed, my lower power, as I like to call it, uh, still likes to rear up every once in a while and say I'm not worth it, I'm not enough. Um, I was motivated by fear, by resentment and anger. I thought maybe if I could whip myself up into enough shame, feeling bad about myself, then I could change. Until I found uh, this uh, book uh, and had folks on this line uh, open it up to me and help me come to understand that I am, in fact, sick. I have an illness. I have a physical allergy. I have an obsession of the mind. And so uh, when folks call me uh, full of shame that they've gotten into the food, uh, there is a simple answer. They're like, well, what happened? I did this. I'm like this. I'm like that. No, you're a compulsive overeater, and you're in the right place. And so uh, we exist for the purpose of helping the still suffering. And so we could only be so blessed as to be able to – have had the miracle I've had of putting down the food, of moving through the steps, of finding a higher power that cares for and protects me and drowns out that lower power, of um, looking at the exact causes and conditions, of looking at my character defects, and of every day uh, cleaning up my side of the street uh, and uh, trying to serve other people. And it's in serving other people that I have the opportunity to move into this uh, later chapter and perhaps help an employer understand. The best way I helped my employer understand is that I changed. And uh, I applied three times for the full-time position I currently hold. Very difficult position to get. Three times I stayed stuck in my part-time position And it was when I did get hired, it was after I had changed. I'd had a a psychic change sufficient. And uh, it was was something. And my employer says, well, one of the reasons I want you for this position is because when something comes up, you already know that about yourself. 
um, and you uh, accept responsibility for whatever the challenge or character defect is. She doesn't use that language. Um, and you're ready to work on it. Well, two years ago, three years ago, I would have just hidden under the desk in shame. So uh, what choice do I have today? I can connect with my fellows. I can look at my, um, my fears, resentments, and harms as they rise up within me. Um, I can live in step 11, connecting consciously, that is, on purpose, with my higher power, pausing throughout the day and at the beginning and end. Um, and this is what allows me to serve, uh, hopefully, to, as a message to employers, by who I am, uh, thanks to the grace of God, and uh, by those, um, and by talking uh, to those that I have opportunity to serve in this way. Thanks for letting me share. Thanks, Julie. Okay, now we have um, Therese P. followed by Ida A. Therese, good morning. You're, it's your turn. Good morning. This is Therese P. in Montana. And uh, so what I was thinking about is that I have recently been moving through a relapse. And um, to, this is my third day of abstinence. And um, the thing that struck me about this reading were some of the questions that um, were asked here. Can you describe the feeling that you're dealing only with habit, with stubbornness, or a weak will? Um, and then it goes on to say, if you can see that your employee is ill, can he be forgiven for what he's done in the past? Can his past absurdities be forgotten? Can it be appreciated that he has been a victim of crooked thinking? And um, it's interesting because I'm thinking about this for having compassion for myself, that, yes, I have an illness, and can I forget the past on um, – you know, what has happened and move toward the future. Because if I stay with the crooked thinking, if I stay with the, um, you know, that's just feeding my disease is thinking of myself as, as uh, weak willed, you know? So today I am working on having compassion for myself, but also I can't let myself off the hook. I have a disease, and um, the spirit, there's a spiritual answer for that. And if I accept the spiritual answer, I get a daily reprieve. And if I don't, then I don't. You know, I don't get the, I don't get the goodness. I don't get the recovery. Um, you know, God's will for me. And what I've learned is that I want God's will for me. I want, you know, um, more than what just food can give me. So I am very grateful to be on the line this morning. Thank you so much, and I'll pass. Thank you, Therese. Okay, next we have Ida. Good morning, Ida. Um, good morning, Larry. Good morning, wonderful visionaries, and thank you all for being here. Ida, grateful, compulsive overeater from northern British Columbia, and wow, am I so glad I'm up early on this line. Because, wow, did you feed me. So many, so many of these shares are just amazing. So massive gratitude. I don't understand, and I wanted to understand, and I wanted to get it between my ears. And I, 
I kept coming up with excuses and I don't, yeah, I don't need to understand. I don't need, because I get it now and I don't need that explanation. And thank you, fellow visionary, for sharing that. To those who understand, no explanation is necessary. Got it. Got it. And I really get the illness piece. It took me a long time, but I really get it. And and if I desire to help, to help myself first before I can help anybody else. And so it doesn't matter the different kinds of eating because I have strong opinions that, that will lead into uh, prejudices that will lead into knocking myself off the path as well as everybody else. So I just need to let that stuff go. And I so thank the people that shared. It's just time to take responsibility and follow the plan of action. And it, and it is entire abstinence, which I get, but it has to be that doing the steps, which means the tether to God. And that makes absolute sense to me. So it really doesn't matter when my whys come up. That's the disease. And the disease is alive and well. And that's why I need all of you here. Because regardless of what hour it is, you get through that blood-brain barrier. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's right. You are so right. So yeah, I can so be I down Five chicken tenders coming to me, as well as a plain so burger. I can be and down a path. You can you. I can be oh, heading down a path, and I do my best to listen to you and to pick up the big book. So my commitment today, after this, is to go back and to read chapter two and three because I have a lot more to learn, and just for today, that will keep me abstinent. Bless you all for being here. Have a wonderful day. Pass. What grace there, Ida. Thank you for your patience with that. Um, okay, we got anyone want two minutes? Two minutes, two minutes. Bueller? Bueller, are you out there? Mr. Chicken Tenders, please. Melissa, see? Melissa, you, it's yours. Two minutes. Okay, thanks. Good morning, Larry. It's Melissa, see. Recovered compulsive overeater in New York. And, um, you know, I was um, thinking about how, um, you know, like the really good dieter is um, probably the most prejudiced. <laughs> A successful dieter seems to be the person with the most prejudice against compulsive readers. And I've been, you know, at times a successful dieter, so I can speak, you know, on both sides there because I, I think I've had that. Um, feeling that this is weak, this is, you know, you're stupid, you're lazy, you're weak, you know, all those things I said to myself. And what I'm experiencing now, you know, it's it's kind of, sometimes I feel like um, I'm wearing a disguise. Like the rest of the world does not know what it is I have. You know, they don't. They look at me and they see me um, as normal. You know, I've... Um, I mean, the funniest thing was I sat next to someone one time who didn't know me, and she looked at what I was eating, and she said, oh, these skinny girls all eat, all eat vegetables. And I laughed because, like, I'm, first of all, I'm not a skinny girl, but, um, you know, she doesn't know me. And, and what happens to me um, at work is, and even at home, you know, people that love me, they have um, amnesia. They forget. Um, and sometimes I hear some really harsh um, prejudices and criticisms 
against other people who are suffering, I'm pretty sure, with this disease. And and I get an opportunity to hear the prejudice. It's like I'm passing. They don't see that I'm really a compulsive overeater. And, um, and there really is a, a world of um, misunderstanding around what it is we have and what it is that we're facing. And so my, my goal, my, my charge is always to bring the truth. You know, I'm not act, operating on willpower. I did not suddenly get willpower. Um, you know, I have, I have higher power. Thank you for that. I'll pass. Thanks so much, Melissa. Appreciate that. Okay. And uh, I'd just like to thank everyone who has shared, and please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. We're now going to close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Carmela G. Are you there? I'm here, Larry. Thank you so much. Good morning. Thanks. Um, Thank everyone for their shares. This is Carmela G., a grateful compulsive overeater recovered for today through my higher power. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come, if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.